Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hi, everyone. This September, I'll be hosting my first ever Art of Loving Men's Retreat. During this men's retreat, I'll be teaching you how you can create more sexual self-confidence, trustworthiness, and a more passionate sexual relationship. We have only a limited number of tickets left, so be sure to click the link in the show notes to purchase your ticket today. Hope to see you there. Welcome, everybody. We're going to speak with Jennifer Finlayson Fife again. Most of you who know me also know her, so we're thrilled to speak again. Welcome and thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So first of all, I want to also give a thank you from myself, but from many of my clients for working on this course for the husbands, for the Mm -hmm. men. And I know you've done a lot of work around that. And I just want to give you a moment to speak to that or tell me um, Mm -hmm. what you think we should know about your men's course. Sure. Yeah. So that's the course called the art of loving and, um, yeah, it's a good course. I, I mean, what it really is, you know, my when I first started doing my work, I was very focused on women's sexuality. That's what I wrote my dissertation on and dealing with a lot of clients who had issues around low desire and low comfort with sexuality and seeing themselves as sexual beings as women. But I also then started to see, you know, men have a lot of anxiety about sexuality, too. Now, they may be the often the higher desire people, obviously not always. And in fact, often men are not the high desire people. But, you know, we have a cultural stereotype that can often make us blind to the questions, challenges, self-doubt that men are often carrying. And so the more that I delved into that, the more I could see how much there is a shared uncertainty around both intimacy, desire, sexuality. It might get expressed differently between men and women, but nonetheless, often men and women are grappling with very similar challenges. And so the men's course is really similar to the women's course. That's the art of desire. I'm helping both the issues of self-development because it shapes so much how much we tolerate intimacy and connection, how capable we are of desire. So, you know, I make a distinction sometimes between wanting and desiring. Wanting is the absence of something and you want someone to come and fill you and make you feel sufficient. So it doesn't take strength to want sexual connection but to desire another person and to be capable of intimacy with another person requires strength within us, a strength of a sense of self that often we don't have and don't realize it. Now, the low desire spouse may know that it's not there. They may feel this person just wants validation or wants to feel good about themselves. They don't necessarily desire me as a person. And then it's harder to actually desire that kind of sex. So anyway, so that's my long way of saying the men's course is helping men to look at who they are, how they've been in relationship to themselves, to their partner and to sexuality, and how that may be impacting the level of intimacy and passion that's in the marriage and then what they can do about it. Mm, I love it. It's beautiful. And I'll just give a personal plug. So I work mostly with men who are trying to form a better relationship with themselves So they can offer that to their wives. And I have several who in correlation with the one-on-one work, 
go out yeah. and purchase your course. And I will say there's so much value there. And I am finding mm -hmm. these men um, really making progress in self-confrontation, which we'll get yeah. into hopefully in a yeah. few minutes. But Wonderful. I just want to say thank you for that. And gosh, I'm trying not to jump into what you just said about desire, but I'm going to super yeah, sure. fast, right? Sure. So many men come in and they think wanting is desire. That's right. But when we dive into it, they're so afraid of desire and so used to wanting. That's and right. And to just tease those apart and separate those, man, yes. it's mind blowing how we can really evolve when we understand just the difference in those two things. Don't yes. you think? Oh, absolutely. It's it's sort of shocking to people. I think sometimes I was just working with someone recently who's always been the higher wanter for sex. Okay. So he's yeah, often yeah, yeah. been the one in pursuit and seeking and his wife has struggled more with um, desire and sexual response. And so the frame was always that he was the one more comfortable with sex and she was the one with issues. And so that's the meaning they kept playing out. Well, he took the men's course and then he kind of realized I'm not very capable of love and desire. And so he started facing himself more and realizing that he didn't kiss his wife like as a way to love her, as a way to care for her. He was usually trying to get something and she'd always struggled with orgasm. Well, the short story is, is that as he started to change that and she could feel it immediately and it started to feel different to her. And what's really striking is that she started to orgasm readily now when he started changing what he was doing but what's also interesting is he felt way more insecure. He felt way more exposed now that she was more responsive. He felt more, he couldn't kind of hide in the, I'm stronger and patient waiting for you to get your act together. And yeah. he started to realize I'm really not as capable of intimacy and connection as I thought. I was hiding in this position of being the stronger one. And it actually made him more overwhelmed. And she was freed up because they had sort of moved out of this. But now that he was in this position, he of being same as with her, it then allowed him to start building the right muscle, not this sort of artificial strength. Oh my gosh, I love that. So when you said that I had a flash to myself, that sort of mm -hmm. happened in my marriage too. For me though, mm -hmm. um, I thought I was emotionally more yes. willing to connect and emotionally stronger. Yes. I have a little, maybe a little bit more masculine energy than some women. Yeah. Um, so when I found out like, oh, I'm willing to connect in the way that feels strong to me, but not in the way that feels right. vulnerable to me. And I was actually sabotaging exactly. what I was begging for. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It flipped yeah. me yeah. like for a loop myself and yes. then my marriage too, when I had to respond to that or when I chose to respond. Yeah. To right. It's so true. It's such a we're so good at telling ourselves stories about what's real yes. and it can feel very real, but we actually are sabotaging something without realizing it. And usually when our marriage really grows, it, it often means, even if you're the higher desire person for something, it means that you actually go through a, tr a frightening transformation yes. where something then gets freed up and more possible between you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect segue into who we're talking to today, but I want to say really fast. Sometimes we think when we start to do this work and we feel this high anxiety, especially as the partner who's like, no, I'm secure in this and I'm asking you to change. And then we start to feel really anxious. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be like, whoa, 
this is wrong. I, yeah. This is not where I wanted to go. I just want to offer to those who are listening. If you for a time feel a little bit higher anxiety as things shift, yeah. probably means you're on the right path. Yes. It probably means yes. things are shaking loose in the way that you actually want mm -hmm. long-term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So let's dive into who we're talking to. I work with a lot of overachieving men and women who have some masculine energy. And I'm a lot like that myself, which is why this resonates to me, mm. who are used to getting an idea or having a goal and just working harder and crushing it. Yeah. They often will have accolades or a big bank account or like people who are constantly propping them yeah. up, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It sounds lovely and beautiful, like all their dreams are coming true. And people look at them externally and say, oh, what a beautiful life you have. Mm -hmm. Then they come to us and I know you know them too. Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm just miserable. My relationship yeah. isn't working. I never feel desired or appreciated for what I do. I don't know how to make this connection. Why yeah. doesn't she want me and love me? Right? So the same yes. skill set that often we're not going to put a blanket on this. They're yeah, yeah. or external outliers, but the same skill set that often allows some of us to achieve in our career. Mm -hmm. Will often sabotage relationships and it's tricky because it works in one area and we're oblivious and blind to why it isn't working in the other. So do you want to speak to just that dynamic for a moment before yeah. we dive all the way in? Yeah. Um, let's see, where would I start? I mean, first of all, it's an, it's an adaptive response to life uh, often mm -hmm. to want to go out and to solve and create and do. It's an antidepressant of sorts because there's this sense of efficacy, like I can shape the world that I live in, I can impact the world that I live in. It's a good thing. Um, there are many ways to shape the world, there are many ways to act in the world, it doesn't have to be in these grand kind of, you know, change the world um, ways. But that sense of being able to affect reality and affect your life is positive where it can become a life lie, like where it can become a distortion is in the frame of, I need to earn my value. I need to be needed. I need to see myself as strong mm -hmm. or stronger than. And that if there's some sense that you are earning it or you are proving that you are not just one of the little people, right? And it's got this, you've got a need to feel better than, that's where it's gonna come and get you. Um, okay, so, so the reason is because, you know, a lot of people that are high desire, a lot of people that are overachievers are often the high desire people. Um, it can be a function of masculine energy. But I think it, it's often more this feeling that I'm strong, I'm able, I'm doing, where's the appreciation, right? There's a covert contract often in that idea that I should be admired and desired for what I do. And that's often the lie that they have imagined they will solve or answer by being an overfunctioner. So a lot of times this person has grown up in their family and they saw dysfunction or problems. And so they're trying to um, be the good child, be the heroic one, be the solver. And they might get validation from their parents for that. You know, they often do. They get often validation from teachers and coaches and, you know, what a great kid. 
And so then there's this idea that they'll often go and marry somebody who tends to need them because they know how to be needed and they need to feel special. It's almost like a way of getting around, does this person person actually choose me or do they need me? Well, when we're all insecure like we are, we usually are looking for someone to need us on some level because we are afraid that if they didn't need us, they wouldn't choose us. We're scared of people that matter to us actually knowing us and having a real choice. So it's like our attempt at a loophole in the vulnerability of love and desire. But it sets us up to never be desired if we do that, because <laughs> you go in and you when somebody needs you or you operate in a way that they feel less than you then that's very hard for them to desire you, even if they accommodate you sexually. Beautiful. Okay, so we can I unpack this and you yes. correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I wanna just kind of summarize in very simple terms here. Mm -hmm. You said the word antidepressant and I'm gonna say what I think it means and I would love for you to correct sure. me. So when we have this false sense of self, right? Like people mm -hmm. are propping us up to, making, to make us feel better. We get these accolades or we earn this money or we drive a nice car. Mm. It lasts for a short amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. It feels good momentarily, mm -hmm. but then we go home and the relationship maybe isn't exactly like we want yeah. or whatever. So then we'll yeah. achieve more and we'll get that little hit, that dopamine hit or mm -hmm. that those pleasure, feel good hormones. And so we're like managing Mm -hmm. our mood with the yeah. external validation is that what you're yeah, saying with right right so the, what i mean by antidepressant is to feel like you can actually affect the world is the antidepressant not necessarily the validation you're talking about the validation okay. does feel good in the in the, the moment but ultimately people that are building a life around that life lie are often bound to have a big depressive uh, awakening that is that they've been they've had their ladder on the wrong wall they've been trying to get something that life isn't going to give to them so they may well encounter a kind of depressive awakening what i mean just in the most concrete sense is when we feel like we can affect our reality it is an antidepressant so rats get depressed if it they if they can't stop themselves from getting shocked like ants, the rats that are getting shocked, but if they learn that they press a certain lever and it stops, they actually are okay. But if a rat, these are just coming back to these basic scientific studies that psychologists have done, you know, can't do anything about it, they'll literally curl up in a ball and get depressed in a rat sort of way. <laughs> and human beings are the same. If you feel like you're a small force and the world is acting upon you and you can't do anything about it, that is a depressing meaning. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to affect your reality, whether it's even just like, I don't feel good when I go run or exercise, I feel better. Even just knowing there's something you can do will make you less likely to get depressed. So mm. that's a good thing, right? The problem is when we invest in this idea that I can control everything, I can make people love me, I can make people need me, I'm going to get this, I'm going to earn this validation and earn my worth and kind of prove to myself and everybody else that I'm I'm better than nor most normal human beings. <laughs> well, then we're setting up a meaning that is not, we can't actually do that. The things that matter most in life, we actually don't have much control over. 
I mean, we can control on some level our desirability based on who we are, but we don't really control, we don't control whether or not someone desires us. We can control our lovability, but we don't control whether or not we are loved. And so, right, these are choices that that belong to others. And the more we're trying to control them into reality, the more we will on some level confront our powerlessness and being able to deal with powerlessness well is a fundamental part of being happy. Thank you for clarifying that. So in some ways it becomes the problem when it that false sense of control comes in. Yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. When we think we can control the desire of our spouse. Mm-hmm. We can control things that really aren't ours to yes. even try. That's right. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you for clarifying that. So that comes in where you're starting to really push for that false sense of control. We start to earn our value in some ways. I heard you say that. And then I want to zone in or zoom in on this needed versus chosen thing. I can't tell you how many times this comes up, right? Like we're so afraid of the person we love not needing us. And of course we know when we think about this intellectually, the only way we can be chosen, which is that underlying craving is to not be needed. But Can you say more about how you see that show up and maybe how listeners could recognize if that's happening for them and they haven't been aware of it up until now? Yeah. Um, Okay. So it's a big question. Let me just think about where to start. Um, Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, we're, I think we're terrified and for good reason, actually, (laughs) that our fallibility, our limitations, just the fact that we're just like ultimately underneath it all, just flawed, vulnerable human beings, that's who we all really are, Um, that we are, if we really let someone see us, really let someone know us, that they'll be like, eh, you know, I could do better. (laughs) (laughs) And because we're so terrified of that, and because we have a hard time ourselves accepting ourselves as flawed, limited human beings, we instinctively want to keep somebody from really knowing who we are. So it's just easy. And then I think beyond that, I think men, well, men and women in a different way, but given that you work with men a lot, I think men are often given the idea that the way to be a man is to be stronger than the woman, to have her need you, to find a damsel in distress, because then you know she's just going to think like, He's answered all of my life questions. I'll never, ever leave him. And so it's a fantasy when you're watching, you know, Disney, it's like the the prince, right? It comes in and he solves her life and he gives her a life and a castle and and, um, she's just so adoring and grateful. So it's a nice fantasy. I can understand why we want it in a way, but it, uh, it doesn't end up working and it ultimately makes love when you get it feel like it's transactional Mm -hmm. so but remind me rhonda of your question you're saying how do you start to see it and what do you do when you see it or or help me so i don't just yes i want to say really fast about the disney i had a friend who said disney movies and rom-coms in general are just emotional porn right (laughs) they're giving us a false sense of what this is really like yeah um so I thought that was hilarious. And it's true. Know, it's me. like the parentified romance. It's like, 
who doesn't want somebody who sweeps in and adores you and tells you you're amazing just as you are Duh, like who doesn't want that? it feels good it captures our narcissistic desire but it isn't real life it isn't real romance it isn't marriage so yes it's definitely a kind of porn <laughs> yeah totally okay so the question let's just make it really simple like how might one identify if they're in a situation like that where this like maybe under the radar feeling of just wanting to be needed how would somebody say, oh, yeah, that's me? Are there any telltale signs that we could look well, for? Yeah, just any place where you feel, let me see, how would I ask, say it so you can see it? You know, did you carry a secret fantasy when you were dating your spouse that she or he would need you? And what did that kind of allow you to get away from? I think a lot of people, if they look at that question, will will recognize they had some fantasy of how they were going to solve something for the other person. And why didn't you date or pursue someone that you thought maybe seemed stronger? Okay. Now, not that those people necessarily were stronger, but maybe you perceived they were stronger. And what made you be anxious about desiring that person, right? So those are questions. Where is it that you resent in your marriage? That's the question I would ask. Like, And why are you resenting? Oftentimes, it's this feeling like you're doing all these things that you're not being appreciated for. And but if you look honestly at yourself, you may find that you actually gravitate to doing these things that you feel should earn you accolades on some level, that you are trying to demonstrate to yourself and others that you are necessary, that you are important. It's not because, you know, sometimes it's because there's just pure negligence and it really won't happen unless you do it. But oftentimes we've been complicit in those kinds of meanings of finding these niches in the relationship where you can feel needed. And so, it's important to both see that you're participating in that needing to be needed and what is it solving solving quote unquote but also where does it create resistance and resentment in your partner even if they're also collusive in it right mm -hmm. so i know plenty of people that will marry somebody that they think is stronger than them and the person who acts stronger is happy to be seen that way but then the person who feels weaker has a really hard time, even though they want the benefits of being with the stronger one, they don't want to actually open heartedly care for that person because they're afraid they don't want to how to say it. They are afraid that they are their insufficiency will be too exposed and also they're afraid that that person will have even more ego and more superiority. So they withhold as a way of trying to get the other person down a peg. Oh, that's good. So I would love to transition into that piece, what it's like to be married to this person we're talking about. But before we do that, thank you for your questions. And I'll just add one more. I think sure. it could be valuable to say, if I knew that my spouse did not need me at all, like if we were gonna drop that today, what am yeah. I afraid might happen? Oh, what am good. I afraid of if we drop yeah. all need? Yes. Yeah, good. Excellent. Okay, so let's go into where you were headed with what it's like on the other side of this to have this spouse who 
perhaps is overachieving, constantly accomplishing. I often work with clients who will say, I don't want to be average. I want to be way better than average. In fact, it's almost like an insult to think Uh that I would be quote normal, right? Yeah. What might it be like as a spouse of somebody who sees life this way and sees their ability to earn value this way? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with excellence. I mean, so I just want to be clear about that. There's nothing wrong with becoming really skilled at whatever your craft is or whatever it is you do. The world's better for having competent people. So the issue is not competency. Uh, The issue is being better than, oh, that is to say an investment in feeling superior to other people. That's a problem. And there's a difference between feeling superior to others and being superior in your competency. Okay, so strong people do not need to feel, they don't need a weak person under them to feel strong. Do you see? Mm. Strength is capacity. The more the world has capacity, the better off we are. When you need to be better than, that's actually weak. Yeah. Would you say that feeds into that false sense of self then, right? I love what you said. Being very confident is beautiful. We're so grateful for these people who are accomplishing and making the world better through their efficiency and competency. But right. would you say the trouble is that false sense of self when we have to be better than when we have to prove and I'll yes. let you say more to that. Right, exactly. It's the competitive part of us. It's the needy part of us. It's the part of us that wants to use other people to manage our own feelings about who we are. So mm-hmm. that is you get invested in seeing somebody as under you or less than you. Now, that doesn't go well in marriage, right? If you are competing on some level with your spouse or your need for your spouse to see you as superior, that's when you're going to run into trouble because they're going to resist you. They're going to make you pay for that. That is an untrustworthy part of you if you're invested in being needed, superior, more able, stronger, wiser, whatever, or, (laughs) you know, that's going to create trouble because you can't be honest and you can't also honor genuinely and respect the strength capacity and autonomy of your spouse when you need them to need you so it sets up a hierarchy of vertical relationship in marriage that doesn't work relationships work intimate relationships if they're going to actually be intimate and choice-based have to be same as traditional marriage is hierarchical she needs you now I don't mean you can't do traditional roles I'm not talking about what you're actually doing but the idea that she needs you okay Cinderella and the prince it's a vertical relationship now there's the fantasy that both are going to get their ego needs met in that that's why they like the idea sure I'll, I'll adore Prince forever. Just give me a castle and get me out of, out of hell and I'll be very happy with you. Okay. It just doesn't work. After the honeymoon, it starts to break down because you're relying on the other person to give you a sense of self and their limited self is not able to manage even their own sense of themselves. So you're both looking to each other to manage who you are and it, and it ends up falling apart. So yeah. Yeah, so it's that hierarchy that's a limitation. When we're weak and young in our development, we create vertical relationships of value, not of capacity, that's okay, but value. 
where intimate relationships are horizontal in value. Yes, I'm going to just repeat what I think you're saying in a less clinical way. Yes. But what I see, which is beautiful, keep talking the way you talk. I love it. Um, but what I see a lot is the things that attract us to each other initially might also be the things that we really don't like later, right? Like, Absolutely. oh, you're so powerful and you're so wonderful and oh, you're so cute and I can care for you and and hold you and and yeah. then later, neither of us are finding that attractive anymore. We're yes. like could you please just see who I am and value yes. me? And we're like, exactly. could you please just hold your own so I don't have to cater to everything and That's right. show me that desire, right? Like we just, it's not yes. attractive on either side for most of us. That's right. So in the dating phase or the early relationship phase, we actually see our spouse's difference as something that expands us. Like I admire this part of them or to find acceptance with this person. Like my husband's more introverted. My dad was very introverted. It bothered me that my dad was so introverted. It was hard to get his validation. But then when I met my husband, that was compelling because getting his validation felt like an expansion of me, right? But then we got married and we were a few years in and he's like, I'm like, what did you think about this? And he's like, yeah, it's good. You know, like very like, <laughs> And then I'm like, why are you so, you know, like unable to tell me what I, whatever. And, and so then it was no longer, it felt like it hurt and it hurt more than just, you know, the average person not validating something in you. So it often, what is compelling in the dating phase becomes acutely painful often in the married phase. And then we start trying to change each other to solve it. Mm -hmm. I want to repeat that. What is compelling? in the dating phase often becomes acutely painful in the marriage phase. That's right. But that's so tricky though, right? Like people are going to be listening to this being like, well, then what are we supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's so true. Right. Well, and nothing's going wrong. The, the, how to say it? The only thing that's happening is our fantasy about what marriage is going to be is breaking on the rocks of reality <laughs> as it should though right as it should so the only yeah. thing that's happening is our fantasy is falling apart and we have to wake up to what marriage is most of us get married to secure and lock someone into loving us much more than we're thinking about a promise to love another flawed person that we barely know when we're getting married <laughs> right but that's what marriage is. It's like, can I actually care for this person who's more introverted, who's not going to validate me whenever I want it? You know, that not because he was withholding, but just because of who he genuinely was and how he operated in the world. So, you know, can I actually care for a person that doesn't just exist to prop up my sense of self? Well, that's harder. I don't like that as much. <laughs> so much harder. Can we interject a question here? Sure. I remember being asked this question and I was like, oh gosh, I don't even know. But let's pretend that we have to say what we love about our spouse that has nothing to do with our personal game. Like it's just mm -hmm. about them. Yeah. I remember thinking about this question and everything yeah. was like, well, he loves me so well. And he, yeah, he does this or that. No, yes. wait, we can only talk about what we love about them. That's not Just proper. As a unique human being. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I it's think true. all listeners should maybe just pause at some point today and ask themselves, right. what do I choose and love about my partner? Yes. 
that what do I respect and admire about the way that they are in the world, the way that they think, the way that they do things, you know, that is not about how it impacts me. It's a great question. It's a great way. Mm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. So you said before we did this, like that's just, or before we pause for the question, like that's really more about marriage. So let's talk a little bit about how, when we're unaware, because that's where most people find me. And I'm guessing a lot of people start to create a tiny bit of awareness and come to you for your course or from some of your other services. Like when we're creating that awareness or maybe not aware at all yet, what happens in a marriage in this dynamic if we sort of just let that fly under the radar and be like an undercurrent to yeah. the marriage? So, so I just wanna make sure Ron, I'm following. You're, you're saying what happens if this needing to be needed piece doesn't get addressed is that what you're saying yeah. right if we yeah. both start functioning or the over functioner keeps over functioning yeah and the under functioner keeps feeling like not appreciated and also afraid okay. resentment obliterates all affection that's what happens oh because, say because more both sides start to resent so deeply you think you're better than me you just, you don't love me. You don't desire me. You just want me to prop up your sense of self and make you think you're God's gift to humanity. Uh, and you just demand that. And you go around, you know, you like the people at work better because they don't mind propping up your ego, but I know you better and you're not that nice and you're not that nice to me. And no, I'm not gonna make you feel that way. So, so there's that one down resentment. And then the one up resentment is I work my butt off. I give you so much. Your life is so much better because of all the hard work. And then you just sit around saying you're not loved enough or whatever enough. And your self-esteem issues are not my problem. They're your problem. And why can't you get your act together? And when are you going to like, you know, stop, cl start claiming your life and stop looking to me to, to solve your sense of self. And the tricky thing is that both people are right. <laughs> well, say more about that because I think, I think you're right <laughs> when you say both are right. Like it's true. Yeah. And it's so painful right. when we're both right. Exactly. Both people are right. They are seeing the liabilities of the other person. But the problem is they're so fixated on the other person, which is the part they can't control. And by keeping their focus on the other person, they keep the marriage operating in that resentment based frame. All my courses, all my work is always about looking, turning that lens back onto yourself. What would it be like being married to me? Where is my spouse right about me in all of her resentment or his resentment? Where am I immature? Now, it doesn't mean that you're wrong about them. Okay, so lest you think you have to like pretend you don't see where that where they're wrong or where they're off. That's true. It's just that you not looking at yourself keeps them justified. I don't mean truly justified. I just mean in the defensive justification, right? You think I'm a jerk. Well, okay, but that's also because you have such low self-esteem and you're not dealing with your life and you just sit around resenting me rather than getting out and doing something. Okay, well, so they're kind of right about that. But on the other hand, what they don't see is that they keep using that liability in their one down spouse to keep pushing themselves up against her or him. And that keeps this, this struggle going on for eternity. <laughs> yes. Can we bring up two terms? And I, I know that we could talk about Bowen theory and Snarsh's wording, but I'd love to hear Finlayson Five's wording. 
differentiation, because mm -hmm. I think you're talking about it and we're not really saying the word and yeah. then self confrontation, which sure. confrontation has a little bit of a negative yeah, yeah. association with it, but it's not in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. So let's talk about those two words and okay, differentiation good. or so, self confronting. Yeah. So, way. so differentiation, I'll just talk about differentiation in lay terms is emotional maturity. Maybe that's not lay term enough. What it is, is our ability to handle our sense of who we are without having to extract that sense from other people. And when we are early in our development, the thing is that human beings learn how to have a sense of self while they're in relationships. So we, we start out with a sense of self residing in our parents, okay, or our peers, they are the ones that are telling us about who we are. Progression development is to be able to take that sense of self, not just from what everyone's reflecting back to you, but to start to develop a sense of who you are that can operate more within you and not be dependent on other people managing it, propping it up, reassuring you, telling you you're okay. You get more able as you mature to hold your sense of who you are, even if you're not getting that immediate feedback, validation, or feeling from people around you. So that is the progression and self-confrontation is a key part of it, which I'll say in a minute, but you can't actually love and desire someone until you've moved out of a dependency on other people to manage your sense of self. Now, a lot of people will be like, what? I'm fully dependent and I love people, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, what I mean is, it's not just like one moment, but if you need someone to tell you you are okay, this is back to your point, Rhonda, where you're saying like, can you value someone like independent of how they impact you? Can you value and, and appreciate someone because of simply who they are, or does it always come back to how it impacts you? That's really the beginning of love is to say, I value you because you exist, because you're a human being, because you matter. And I can see that, not because I need it in some way, or I need it for managing me, because if it's always about managing ourselves, well, it's a form of use of each other, even if it's mutually beneficial or feels good to two people. It is a kind of use, not really love. Love and desire, not want, are born out of having real choice and saying, I value you, I choose you, I respect you, I give you my acknowledgement as another human being, not because I need something from you, but that I'm honest enough to care about you just as another part of divinity walking around on this planet. So that's when we grow out of that dependency, that's when we really become more capable of love and desire. It's what we all want from each other. We want to be loved for who we are. We wanna be desired as an expression of respect and love, but to be able to give that is much harder. And so- It's the hardest thing I've ever yeah. done in my life. And yeah. I don't think we'll ever quote, get there until yeah. we're like perfected at it. Yeah. But if we could like zoom way out in the problems of the world and marriages and all the yeah. things, I feel like if people understood and were able to practice a percentage of differentiation, yes. 
Yes. It would change so it would change everything. Much. Change everything. Because it comes back to this question of so self-confrontation is a schnarch term um, mm -hmm. who teaches differentiation theory. Uh, but what what that is is basically the ability to look honestly at yourself and to hold your own behavior up against your honest moral positions. Right. So okay, say that more lame man, because I, okay. I love where you're going and let's just, okay, I'll try <laughs> I'm not very I'll keep asking questions if that's okay. Good. No, yes, please do. Well, I taught a lesson yesterday about David and Bathsheba, right. Um, it, at church. And there was this moment of self-confrontation when prophet Nathan comes to David, who has been lying to himself and trying to cover up the impact of his, of his self-serving behavior. And um, Nathan, the prophet Nathan tells David a story about another person who takes advantage, right? Well, David's response, he's, he's hearing that story and he's putting it, he's, uh, he is holding it up to his internal sense of right and wrong, his honest sense of right and wrong. And he's like, well, that's a terrible person that would do that, that, that whoever that story is deserves to, to die. That's what he says, right? Very compassionate response, but he's like, basically that that's the, you know, wrong. Okay, well then of course the prophet says, well, you are the man, you are this person. Okay, so then of course, then David recognizes that he sees himself honestly, and he's holding it up against his own moral position, which is that's unacceptable behavior. Then he goes into a crisis of self as he should. That's what it is to self-confront, to not, to, to a lot of us would not accept our own behavior were someone else doing it. Oh Never. My gosh, yeah. like, what a jerk, you know, so self-serving. I mean, right? So we have an honest moral compass, but we have a hard time putting that onto ourselves because we tell ourselves lies. We tell ourselves stories about why our behavior is acceptable or how it's good or how it's kinder than it really is. And so this beam in our eye, the scriptural reference that we're literally blind to ourselves and our impact and how we are trying to get things from others much more than we're giving or that we're being heroic because we're trying to earn or get something, not because we really simply love. So we're so busy proving we're better than that we actually are very, very weak when we need to do that. People mm. that are strong don't need to actually prove their strength all the time. They just live it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay, so question time again. I'm gonna use what you said. Yeah. It would be awesome if we all just stopped and asked ourselves, what behavior am I repeating or am I continuing in the relationship that I would not appreciate if exactly. my partner were doing the same? Yeah, exactly. That's and be so honest about that. Yes, exactly. So the question I sometimes will ask people is like, what would it be like being married to me get into my spouse's shoes and where are the places where i'd be like oh what a drag what a drag! <laughs> like i would not like that here's another way i ask my clients to do it is to think about let's say you're the female in the relationship right like if my daughter i'm sorry if my son were to marry a woman like me would i like my daughter-in-law okay or if my daughter were to partner with um, a, a husband like I am, would I like my son-in-law? Okay, you're, you're just getting it away from you. Now I do this with clients sometimes who are telling me all the justifications. And then when I put it like that, they're like, I hate him. No, 
Totally. Totally. Right? Because we can suddenly see it and we see the self-service in it. We see like, oh, she's just being a martyr. She doesn't really love, or he's a jerk and he just serves his own interests. And so sometimes we just need to get it into the frame that we can actually see it because it is eroding our self-respect. The thing is we can't actually hide from our moral compass. I mean, we can tell ourselves stories that can allow us to not face it, but it's still eroding our self-respect and our sense of freedom internally if we're a house divided. Yes, that's so true. Another way I like to do it, if there's like a big decision, like, oh, my wife thinks I should handle this circumstance this way, but I don't really want to because X, Y, and Z, and they have all the quote right answers or strong yes. answers. And I'll say, let's just imagine for a moment that you are your wife. And not only do you hear what you're saying to her, but you know the thought, right? Like if you can self-confront and get really clear about your thoughts and intentions, about mm. how much you value your wife's opinion or how much you respect her stance or position on this. And a lot of times they're like kind of embarrassed. They'll even yeah, say, absolutely. well, don't judge me, but if you knew the whole story, this, right? So I yeah. like them to just get super honest, not just about yeah. what they're saying or how they're presenting to their spouse, but how they're thinking and trying yeah. to put a mask on their thinking, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. We do so much of that in our intimate relationships. We are trying to keep them from being too intimate because we don't want to expose our less than um, worthy thoughts and our less than worthy desires. <laughs> And we're using lots of good arguments often to deflect and get our spouse's attention elsewhere, but not actually face who we are. And marriage is designed to expose this to ourselves, I think. So the, often the disillusionment is, oh, marriage isn't what I had imagined or hoped it was, which is one big validation chamber. <laughs> okay. And instead, it's this thing that's actually asking me to deal with who I am. And to look honestly at who I am and my impact on another person that I have promised God or the highest in myself to love. And I'm not doing a great job when I'm asking them to revolve around my ego. Mm -hmm. Totally. I love what you said. We want marriage to be a validation chamber. Just come <laughs> pet my hair and tell me how pretty tell I am. Great. Prop me up. But what it actually does, it holds up a mirror and says, Here's where you still need to grow and heal. Yeah. Dang, it hurts to grow and heal. It does. Right? It does. It does. And but you know what is the more you do, the more your spouse genuinely validates you. That's the thing. This is something Dr. Schnarch would always say, which is the more you need validation to manage your sense of self, the less likely you are to get it. But the less you need it, the more able you are to get it because you're being kind you're being fair you're being decent like sometimes i've been really honest with my spouse and just said you know what i'm seeing that i've been doing this i'm sorry i do this i know that's hard i know that's difficult i'm sorry i'm such a loser this way and it's sincere like i'm facing myself more i know my negative impact well the thing is it seldom turns into like yeah you know i mean yeah you're totally <laughs> yeah because i'm married to a good person i mean he's just he never does that. But I think, you know, what often happens is that it's a track that this person cares about me. She or he is willing to look at themselves and deal with themselves. It makes them you easier to love. It makes you easier to get close to. You are more trustworthy because you will be honest with who you are. So the paradox is the more that we face ourselves, 
this is exactly how I help couples become closer is I help them develop who they actually are so they can be honest and actually have intimacy and validation. That's just genuine, not false or pretended. Oh, I love that. I wanted to say a quick thing on the opposite end of that, because we're saying like, oh yeah, the more that you don't need the validation, the more that you get that. And I would also say, you know, when you're seeking for it and you're begging for it, just the other person, they don't have the chance. We said this before to offer it genuinely, to mm -hmm. offer it freely. Yeah, and yeah. then it's just that perpetuating cycle, right? And then you don't feel validated and then you seek it more. Like if we can just call out that cycle, right. that you're just perpetuating what's really hurting. Yes, exactly right. Right, really when you're painful. trying so hard to get it and then somebody, I remember like, do you think I'm pretty? Do you think, you know? And then John's like, oh, well, yes, I do. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's like, well, it doesn't even feel real. You know, now you're just saying yes. it. <laughs> totally. I think you should apologize. Okay, I'm sorry. No. So like, oh, now you just said it. Yeah, So exactly. So it, it interferes often. Our desire to get it interferes with what's natural emerging and keeping our focus where it needs to be, which is on who we are. And are we at peace with who we are? Are we okay with who we are? It doesn't mean you can't address issues in the marriage, of course, or name things that are difficult because honesty uh, with ourselves and our spouse is really fundamental to a marriage growing. It needs truth in order to grow. So it doesn't mean you can't name problems, of course, but you just don't want the distortion that keeps it only on your partner. And as soon as they get it solved, you'll be okay. That is to basically create a power struggle that will keep you from solving anything. Thank you for sharing that. One last thing, and I, I hope we have time to move on to that want versus desire to dive into that just uh -huh. for a few moments. Yeah. But there have been times in my marriage where as I'm saying something to my husband, I will know in my head like, oh, if he wanted to, he could come back and say this, or oh, if he was like emotionally savvy or whatever the words, he could come back and drill me. But I will present the argument in a way that feels very powerful to me. And I'll present it in a way that I'm trying to leave him no room to mm. see my flaws. And that feels really powerful in the moment. And it also leaves me really weak, not being honest with myself, mm. not being honest with him. Yeah. It's the opposite of what you said. I've also experienced the opposite too. When we come in and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't notice this in me, I am starting to notice this in me. And I just want to share this with you that I'm working yeah. on it. Or if you see me doing it, this yes. is what's happening. Good. But yeah. the one up yeah. position, we can really take that and distort it to our benefit. Yes. And I think we get really good at it sometimes. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, socially sophisticated people can be yeah. very good at twisting reality into the shape or, or putting it on turf they can win on yes. or making it look like you're trying while really you're 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 manipulating something to keep yourself from being confronted or looking at the parts of yourself you don't want to deal with. I the used to be is, the queen of that. Make it yeah. look like I'm trying while I'm yeah. distorting and twisting. Yep. If you've done this, this is going to resonate with you. If you're like, what does that even mean? Don't worry about it. Yeah. But oh my gosh, that really resonates yes. with me. I did it all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so and the thing is your spouse if you're doing that, your spouse may not be able to name it because they maybe aren't 
sophisticated enough to name it, or maybe they don't want to see you that way, but they feel it. They know it. They know you're not trustworthy. So their natural instinct is to guard themselves from you. So whether or not it's named or conscious, it's living in the marriage and it's corrupting the marriage. Mm -hmm. And so the more honestly we deal with ourselves, we don't get away with anything in marriage. Like any fantasy of that, you pay the price for your liabilities always. So the more you clean them up, the more freely you'll live your life, the more happily you'll live your life. We don't get away with anything in the marriage, you guys. I'm just going to repeat that. You do pay for your liabilities, even if you're distorting and you're pretending to put on this yeah. mask for the greater good. If yes. it is under false pretense, you don't get away with it. That's right. I, I just think we cannot overstate that because I lived in a space for a long time where it felt so strong and it was almost like addictive to be in that strong place. Yeah. Yes. And I was miserable in the fact that I was desiring this connection that yes. I thought he wasn't offering, yes. but actually I was sabotaging and I could not see it. So yes. 100%. those of you who feel that way in your marriage, yes, please listen and, and no. just confront yourself. How are you sabotaging what you want? This doesn't apply to everybody, by the way, but I think those yeah. who resonate with this will know if it's them. Yeah yeah exactly and uh, you know i don't know i always think of like the scrooge and stuff you know he kind of thinks he's manipulated a reality in which he's going to dominate prevail and win but he has no friends like he has no warmth he has no so it's like you don't get, get away with it how do you get away with it when you when you sabotage this i was thinking today i was talking to my husband this morning like I've enjoyed a lot of wonderful things in my life through my career and all those things matter so much to me, but I had to only have one thing. It would be my relationship with my husband. Like that has been the most precious thing in my life because I have a true friend and it's so priceless. And so when we are working against it to manage our egos, we pay a massive price, a massive price because I think friendship is ultimately all we really have is our relationships. I mean, I think that's when we really despair is when we don't have a real sense of being known and cared for. And so everything we can do to become someone capable of real friendship, capable of honest connection, we deeply, deeply bless our lives. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Okay, to wrap up, and we can spend just a few minutes if you have that. And if not, you let me know. But I wanted to go back to where we started. So I mostly work with emotional intimacy these days, which of course, is a foundational piece of physical intimacy, we can't really separate those. Mm. But want versus desire. And mm. you talked about defining those differently, which I totally agree with. And what mm -hmm. I see is a lot of men who want, right? They want, mm -hmm. and that feels strong, like you said, but they will shut down their desire because they're so afraid of the rejection. They're so afraid of like true desire because it's so vulnerable yes. and it's so scary to them. So I would love to hear you like pull apart want versus desire and mm -hmm. what feels important as we wrap up today with emotional yeah. intimacy and physical intimacy, all of it. Yeah. Good. Well, so first of all, in my men's course, I, I talk about it more in terms of higher desires versus lower desires or desire that comes from the lesser part of us. But my husband is the one who was saying to me, you know, wanting 
is he I like his term better because he we were just thinking through it once and he was saying that want is the absence and so if you have a want for food right you're you're trying to fill a hole you're trying to manage something that's empty in you um so it's the lack where desire is coming from a place of abundance that you want to create right to to fulfill to move towards something but it's not about trying to fill something that is lacking so i think that really captures the difference because when we are wanting our partner's validation sexual or emotional we're saying i feel insufficient i feel empty i feel a lack about who i am and i want you to solve it the way we will touch them or talk to them is going to be very different than being in a place of desire. And I'll explain desire in a minute because that's for some people like, is that even real? Like, what is that? Okay. Yeah. Because they're like, I only know about wanting, right? So, um, but a lot of times we confuse this wanting with something strong or good when really it's about ego reinforcement. So we are wanting to talk about our feelings but what we want what we are doing is we want reassurance we want this person to help manage our anxieties or our fears in the world we want them to tell us we are enough but we're using them to solve us and we have so much framing of this like that marriage partnerships are basically about needing each other that's the frame of want not of desire so we marry like baby i need you need all the songs are about needing each other <laughs> okay. uh, those are about a kind of mutual use of each other but it's not about desiring desiring is coming from a place of i am okay but i would choose you i care about you i value you you mean a great deal to me as another person you are my friend i who you are and what matters to you matters to me because i care about your happiness i care about your well-being not just because of how you shape or impact me right and you don't have to deny that that person impacts you positively but it's not to get them to fill up your life and i heard somebody say this the other day and i'm trying to remember if i can, if I can capture how they said it but they said you know when you actually I remember how they said it. When you desire something, you actually can choose to not do it. You don't have to have it. If it's really a desire, you have the alternative of not choosing it. Now you may choose because there's fulfillment and richness there that you, you desire in your life, but it's not because you need it. And so I think that to desire someone is to say, like i choose to care for this person i choose to embrace and and give my best in this relationship our children we have on some level a choice to make to really love our children is to say i will bring my best to this person to facilitate their life being good that their needs are met that they're challenged in ways they need to be challenged that limits are set in a way that blesses their lives but it's an investment in a person, not because you're trying to get them to tell you you're a good parent, but because you're trying to be a good parent. That's a choice. That's a desire. It's not about needing to fulfill 
a sense of who you are through the child. So ask any questions to get it more understandable. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. I'll just say, like, if we could whittle this down into a nutshell, when we're wanting, it's because we are empty. We're not okay. Yeah. We need somebody to give us something to solve us or to fill us up. It's more of a neediness. Yes. And then what you said about the desire is I'm okay, just as I am. Whether mm -hmm. you give me this or not, like, of course I want it. That's okay. Yes. Or excuse me, of course I'd love to have that piece of you that I value, right? Yes. I choose you. I care about you. I value you and I value me and we're okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I know I got married when I was almost 30 years old and I was studying a lot of these things. So I, I had some advantage in both of those realities, but I remember um, that I kind of came up against a decision point where I was really saying like, do I choose John? Like, because there are these things, there are these gaps, there are these places where he's different than I imagined who I would marry. Or there are places where I may feel aloneness in the marriage because of the ways that we're different from each other. And I remember thinking, I didn't really have the language for this then, but I remember really thinking about the fact that I could choose to not marry him or choose to not marry at all and still live a good life. Like I trusted that I could have a meaningful life, even if I didn't walk that path. But I remember thinking like, I really desire to share a life with John. I really desire to have him in my life, to care about him, to be his friend, it's the one I most desire, but it wasn't because I couldn't imagine fulfillment or goodness in my life without that. And so that made it a different choice. Now, it doesn't mean that there haven't been times where I can fall certainly into want or make me feel good or and that there isn't that there hasn't been because there has choice points within the marriage in which it's like, am I going to really choose and care for this person as a unique person? Or am I going to keep demanding that he yields to me, right? Like, so it doesn't mean that was just a one-time decision because I think you ultimately make this choice many times in marriage if it's going to keep growing. But it's but the important thing is it's about who we are going to be, how we are going to manage ourselves, or are we going to take from others in the name of love? That's really it. And and when you really choose someone and you know they choose you. Well, that's so precious. That's so much real friendship. And there's so much beauty in it. There's so much good in it. It doesn't mean that there isn't gaps and frustrating moments or places where you have to stand and soothe yourself around the, the, the gaps, right? But you have the beauty of a real friend in your life. I think that's a beautiful place to sort of start to wrap this up. I love what you said. It's a choice. And that's a place that we can have real connection when we're whole. And we mm -hmm. can offer that to someone else who gets mm -hmm. to choose when, how they want to be whole, right? Yes. And it's okay. And more than okay, I think is what you're saying. It's very, very normal when we still feel lonely at times. Yes. When we still feel a gap at times. Yes. It doesn't mean marriage Definitely. is perfect. There are those times of intense connection and even yes. validation, right? I don't think we're saying validation is terrible. It's no, just, it's not. Right. There are times of both. And that's what marriage is supposed to be. Right. 
Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with validation. It's a wonderful part of marriage. You just can't live your life trying to get it because then you'll never get it. <laughs> and there are all there is no person you'll marry that's just going to reinforce every bit of you. That is not marriage. That is not love. So yes, uh, the uh, Cheryl Turkle, I think is her name, wrote a book. Um, it, it, but a quote of hers is. This is a paraphrase, but something like the more our, the greater our ability to tolerate aloneness, the less alone we will be right or if we must always be in connection, we will be very lonely I can't remember maybe she said it that way. So it's a paradox, but the more we can handle gaps, the more rich and solid the connection will be. Mm -hmm. Totally Oh, thank you for sharing that you know I like to say when we are emotionally aware and emotionally self-confronting, right? And differentiated, it's not that we're not gonna feel discomfort. Right. We will, and we're yes. probably a lot more aware of the discomfort. Yeah. It's right. just that we have a more solid sense of self and more confidence yes. around our ability to handle that discomfort. And I think that's what you're saying, yes, right? Exactly, exactly right. Yep. We're going to feel what we feel. We're just going to be in a different place to handle it. More able to, to regulate ourselves around it. Yes. Totally. Thank you for being here. Is there anything that you want to share about how people can find you or what you do? Sure. I mean, a quick sure. Google of your name will give us lots of resources. About yeah, it. yeah. Share so my, like. Sure. Well, just my website alone is, is a good place to start because you can see both the free podcast that I have, which is conversations like this, but then also a paid podcast called Room for Two. And what that is, is I'm doing real work with real couples and you get to listen in. And so you get to hear where they're stuck, where they're in these impasses around sexual intimacy or understanding one another or finances or whatever it is. And so you're getting to hear how their stories, but my input on what it is they need to face in themselves. So a lot of people have written saying like, this is like a really, talk about getting it outside of you and then you're like oh crap that's me <laughs> okay i yes. do that thing but then it allows you to change and address things in your marriage and so a lot of people listen to this with their spouse and then they can have better conversations both with themselves and with each other so there's that then i have my online courses but importantly what i was thinking about is that we actually have a few spots left in september we're doing an art of loving retreat that's like Monday, the I can't remember, like the, the Labor Day in the evening, it starts and goes until that Friday morning. And that's in Hillsborough, Oregon, right outside of Portland. But we still have a few seats left for that. So for any men that want to go meet other awesome guys and kind of immerse themselves in this content, um, that's also a possibility. Beautiful. Thank you. That sounds amazing. Thank you for your time again and being here. I so appreciate you. I know it's always a treat when we get a little bit of insight um, inside your mind. I, I love the way you present things and um, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rhonda. Yeah. So to summarize, here are three questions, three takeaways of what you can ask yourself to get a better handle on how you're contributing to your marital troubles. The first question to ask yourself is, where is my spouse right about me? They may be getting a lot of things wrong. They may be exaggerating or focusing on something that you think isn't fair or true. But the better question is, where do I know that they're right? What's the thing that I keep wanting to avoid in what they're saying 
that has enough truth in it that I know I need to deal with it. Similar kind of question and focusing you in the most helpful direction is what would it be like to be married to me? What do I know would be hard about being in an open-hearted relationship with me? One way to do this is imagine yourself in your spouse's shoes, watching you walk in the door, watching you handle conflict or frustration. How would it be difficult to get close to you or be in a collaborative conversation with you? So good. This, this is a good way to see where you're interfering with your own goals. And then another question, and when we talked about a bit in the podcast, is if my child were married to someone like me, in what way would I feel sorry for them? Now you might be like, oh, I would just think it was phenomenal. <laughs> okay. And obviously there are good things about you and that could be good for your spouse, but what would be hard for them? Where would you want them to be better for the benefit of your child. That might be that you recognize your ability to feel like a victim or be a martyr, or you can get superior or controlling. Whatever it is, the more you look at what's there and do something about it, the better you'll feel about yourself, the easier you'll be to desire and be close to, and the more your marital friendship will thrive. Okay. Good luck, everyone, in this courageous and valuable work. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.